Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everyone, Trevor here, head writer and producer of The Sheridan Tapes. Just popping in at the start of this episode to let you all know that this Saturday, April 24th, marks the one-year anniversary of The Sheridan Tapes. As a way to thank every one of you for listening and supporting our show, I'll be hosting a live listen party for our last three episodes, along with a giveaway for one of the Beachwood Monster t-shirts designed by Aries Jimenez this Saturday, April 24th at 12pm Pacific Daylight Time. Check the links in the show notes for more information, or follow us on Twitter at Sheridan Tapes to know when we go live. Thank you all so much, and now, back to the show. This episode of The Sheridan Tapes was made possible by our supporters on Patreon. AJ Dvorak, Elena Malnati, Kristen Leonard, and Aaron404. If you'd like to support the show as well, please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to ad-free versions of episodes, a special weekly behind-the-scenes podcast, and patron-only AMA livestreams. Before we get started, this episode contains depictions of grief and loss, terror, and some strong language. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show notes. The classic Lovecraft. (laughs) Uh, Of course. Let's see. Shadow over Innsmouth. No. The Mountains of Madness. Definitely not. Salophias. In a dream, Karanis saw the city in the valley, and the sea coast beyond, and the snowy peak overlooking the sea, and the gaily painted galleys that sail out of the harbor towards the distant regions where the sea meets the sky. In a dream, it was also that he came by his name of Karanis, for when awake he was called by another name. Perhaps it was natural for him to dream a new name, for he was the last of his family, and alone among the indifferent millions of London, so there were not many to speak to him and remind him who he had been. His money and lands were gone, and he did not care for the ways of people about him, but preferred to dream and write of his dreams. What he wrote was laughed at by those to whom he showed it, so that after a time he kept his writings to himself, and finally ceased to write. The more he withdrew from the world about him, the more wonderful became his dreams, and it would have been quite futile to try to describe them on paper. 
Cronus was not modern and did not think like others who wrote. Whilst they strove to strip from life its embroidered robes of myth and show in naked ugliness the foul thing that is reality, Cronus sought for beauty alone. When truth and experience failed to reveal it, he sought it in fancy and illusion, and found it on his very doorstep amid the nebulous memories of childhood tales and dreams. There are not many persons who know what wonders are open to them in the stories and visions of their youth. For when as children we listen and dream, we think but half-formed thoughts, and when as men we try to remember, we are dulled and prosaic with the poison of life. But some of us awake in the night with strange phantasms of enchanted hills and gardens, of fountains that sing in the sun, of golden cliffs overhanging murmuring seas, of plains that stretch down to sleeping cities of bronze and stone, and of shadowy companies of heroes that ride caparisoned white horses along the edges of thick forests. And then we know that we have looked back through the ivory gates into that world of wonder that was ours before we were wise and happy. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Sam Bailey, uh, morning of November 2nd, 2019. Barely slept at all last night thanks to that windstorm that tore through here. Uh, the weather's been shifting lately. The air's getting a lot colder and harsher, so I'm trying to take as many of these walks as I can before the snow comes. I'm not looking forward to being trapped inside the cabin for three months straight, that's for sure. Anyway, this might be my last opportunity to explore the area north of the cabin. I've headed out this way before, but there's one area close to foothills that I never quite made it to.
I wish I knew how to explain what happened in the basement the other night with Alan. Hearing him was like having a dream. Like going to bed hungry, dreaming about the biggest Thanksgiving dinner you've ever seen, and then waking up just as hungry as before. More so, actually. Of course, while I was on the phone listening to his voice, time just seemed to stop. Every second seemed to hang in the air, just waiting. It didn't feel like time was passing for me at all. But of course, the moment did pass and everything went back to normal. Maybe the best way to explain it is that it was some kind of time hiccup. Some kind of warping of space-time caused by whatever I did in the basement. Like what happened with Ren. It wasn't just my heart latching on to the moment, reliving a time when we were happy. If it was, then Alan's voice wouldn't have been picked up on the tape recorder. There was a real connection there. Even if it doesn't make any sense. I wish I had some idea of what it all means. Uh, between the wind and all of these questions racing through my head, I couldn't sleep at all last night. I ended up reading an old H.P. Lovecraft story to try and, well, quiet my thoughts, I guess. Odd choice, I know, but there weren't too many other options. And the one I read, Celephias, it wasn't about eldritch horrors, surprisingly. The story was actually kind of enticing, to be honest. Oh, hold on for a second. It's so short, it only took me ten minutes to read the whole thing. Uh, the man in the story is called Karanis. At least that's his name in his dreams. He feels a lack of connection to the real world and his family, but then one night he dreams about a seaside city called Celephias, a place more beautiful and thriving than anything he's ever seen. And to his delight, he realizes that he's dreamt of it before, 40 years ago, when he was a little boy. Uh, how did it go again? There he stayed long, gazing out over the bright harbor where the ripples sparkled beneath an unknown sun, and where rode lightly the galleys from far places over the water. And he gazed also upon Mount Aaron, rising regally from the shore, its lower slopes green with swaying trees, and its white summit touching the sky. <laughs> Alright, I might have read it more than once before I fell asleep. Anyway, after this long, glorious night exploring the most beautiful city in the most peaceful dream he's ever had, he wakes back up. And then for months, he doesn't dream of it again. He still dreams, of course. One time he's flying over mountains at night and finds an ugly, rough stone wall too gigantic to have risen by human hands. Another time he dreams of a land with beautiful gardens that he thinks might be Celephias until he realizes that it's so quiet because there are no people left alive there. And then he dreams of climbing an endless spiral staircase all night, only to reach the top at sunrise and see that the land below is full of decay and death. 
anyway, after months of being unable to return to Solophias in his dreams, Cronus finally makes a decision. In order to stay asleep for longer and find Solophias faster, he'll drug himself with copious amounts of sheesh. But before too long, he's used up all the drugs he could afford and run out of money. And then one day, as he's crossing a bridge, he sees the knights from Salophias coming to take him back to that city permanently. I, I know I shouldn't be jealous of Coronis. I know the story is still technically horror. I mean, he ends up ruling over the city in his dream, but his body is found washed up on the shore near his childhood home. But even so, there's an allure to the story that I just can't shake. Huh, that's odd. I didn't notice before, but these hills, they almost look like they've been sculpted, I guess. I've gone over at least three of these big rises on my way up, and the twists and turns are starting to feel really familiar. <sighs> I guess even nature repeats itself sometimes. Things have been pretty quiet out here, at least. I haven't had any issues hiking since my run with the forest fire. I've actually been thinking about that lately. In light of what happened in the basement, maybe I... Sorry, I... There's no one around for miles, but there's a ladder in the woods about 30 feet off to my right. It's about six feet tall, wooden, and handmade by the look of it. Just leaning against a random tree. That's really strange. It's, uh, it's probably been here for a while. It has some pretty heavy weather damage. Maybe it's some kind of memorial? Maybe a marker someone left out here years ago? The pine needles under the tree don't look like they've been disturbed, so... I guess I'll just have to chalk that up to someone putting it out here for, uh... Fun. Yeah. And yet again, coming up on a fourth rise, and it looks exactly the same. At this point, I could probably climb it with my eyes closed. It really is a beautiful day, though. The sky is clear, and it's starting to feel warmer now that my blood's pumping. To be honest, it's been nice to get a break like this. Sure, I don't have any money. Sure, I'm depending on the kindness of a friend for food, which, uh, well, that's not exactly ideal. He, he keeps telling me it's not a problem, but I know better. I hope I can repay him someday. And then, of course, there's the fact that my former boss wants to kill me. <laughs> that's definitely a problem. But other than all that, it's more of a break than I've ever had. I can't explain how nice it's been to wake up each morning, hike in the sun and the fresh air and the silence, and then 
spend the evenings untangling my own thoughts. God, but I needed it. I've been wound so tight my whole life, I was bound to snap eventually. <sighs> okay, uh, maybe I already have. Not only is that the fifth identical rise in a row, but the ladder is here again. Maybe it's a different one, but it looks exactly the same. Same height, same shape, even the same angle against the tree. Only this time it's closer. Maybe 20 feet away? Not dealing with that right now. It's weird, but I'm in no apparent danger. If I turn around now, I won't get another chance to explore this place until next spring. And even though I'm doing slightly better, I don't want that curiosity about what's up here hanging over me all winter. I just know I'll end up risking it, even with the snow. <laughs> I can't wait to tell Bill about this one. I'll probably just laugh at how worried I'm being. Huh. I guess I do actually miss having people to talk to. Never thought I'd say that and actually mean it. But I guess that's what five months in the woods will do to you. Six months, six months, right. <laughs> Yet again, time is losing all meaning up here. I, I have this feeling that I'm scratching the surface of something bigger. Something about time. Uh, the lake, the echo, Helen's voice, even the wildfire, I think there's a connection between them. I don't know if it's possible to explain logically, or if it really is just a gut feeling. Uh, I hope it's logical. I don't know how to deal with it otherwise. I've always needed things to be settled, to be rational. At least I have for as long as I can remember. I may have lived more from the gut before Mom and Dad before what happened in the lake. But was that really a, a truer version of me? Am I finally integrating some part of me that I've buried all this time? Is that why I keep brushing up against different powers like this? And, you know, I was so focused on figuring out what happened to Anna before on how much of what she recorded on her tapes was real that I didn't even think to ask. What was she looking for, exactly? <sighs> so that's how it's gonna be, huh? There's another ladder. Same look, same setup. About ten feet away now. And I'm getting this feeling that... No, no, that's, that's probably just the altitude getting to me. You know what? I, I think I might actually turn around now. I, I hate going back now, but... If this is like last time, then I don't want to get too far in to turn back. And I'm going to switch you off, too. Try to go a little faster on the way down.
was almost out of there, and then that, that last hill. There's a ladder right in front of me, directly in front of me, blocking my way down. And I know it wasn't here the last time I came through. Well, it's, it's barely a few steps away now. There's a, there's a moss growing in some of the cracks in the wood. Not a lot, but it's surprising to see given how dry it is up here. Maybe if I get just a little closer, I can see it. There was a, a strange, um, almost a, a ringing in my ears when I got closer. To... I, I should, I should just keep going, uh, walk, walk around it, and uh, get home. This, this could be dangerous, and I have no idea who or what actually put it here. Or, or maybe I could just. <gasps> What the hell? I, uh, I, I touched the ladder and it. I, uh, I felt a, a brush of uh, euphoria. What the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, I, I need to get out of here. Uh, there should only be this one hill left, and then a, a big turn to the east, and then it's level ground all the way back to the cabin. All I have to do is walk away. Just walk away, Bailey. a ladder now. Every single tree in front of me. And they're all the same ladder. The same wood, the same moss, the same freaking ankle. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I get it. I'm not getting out of here without dealing with this. Not unless I... Uh... So, Karanis sought fruitlessly for the marvelous city of Selephias and its galleys that sailed to Serenium in the sky. <sighs> maybe, maybe if I just touched one of the ladders for a second more, or, or maybe climbed it just a little bit. Maybe then they'd let me go. Something is clearly trying to tell me something. Maybe I... It's another test. Like the wildfire. Not by sight. Not by sight. Okay. There's a way out of here. I know there is. I just need to close my eyes and trust that it's there. It's 
Uh, it's working. I'm making it. One foot in front of the other. Just uh, keep calm and keep your eyes closed. You'll be out of here in no time. You can... Uh, is happening. I can see them now. The way the sunlight hits them all is... The golden glare came from somewhere out of the east and hid all the landscape in its effulgent draperies. <laughs> Whatever's doing this, you could try being a little more subtle. Or... Or is this me somehow? Making this happen subconsciously? So Levias and Alan and... <sighs> Is this all inside my head? <sighs> I'm okay. I'm okay. I can see the edges of the trees now, so I'm, I'm almost out. <sighs> Everything's going to be okay. out I stopped the recorder right when I was in the most danger. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm back in the cabin now, safe and settling in for the night, but... I have never felt anything like what I felt then, looking at the ladders surrounding me. I knew they were dangerous. Enough of my conscious mind was still awake to realize that. But even so, I was completely calm. That euphoric feeling I had when I touched the first ladder covered everything, and it was almost like I was dreaming. I walked slowly through the ladders towards a break in the tree line a few yards away. It was harder than I thought it would be. Each of the ladders pulled on my mind as I passed it, the euphoria growing stronger every time I came close. It took every ounce of willpower not to go to them, but I kept walking. And then, right at the edge of the tree line, I saw a different ladder. It was larger, heftier, more strongly made, and at least nine feet tall, disappearing into the lower branches of the pine it was leaning against. I finally stopped when I saw it. I knew that the other ladders were dangerous, but this one... It, it felt safe. The blinding euphoria fell away as I came closer, too, and somehow I knew that I had to climb. That this was the only way out. It was like I had no other choice, but even so, I wasn't afraid. 
I hesitated for a moment before I reached out and touched it. And as soon as I did, I was filled with a kind of joy I've only rarely felt in my life. A joy that made that euphoria feel cloying and artificial, somehow too strong and too weak at the same time. It reminded me of being a little kid, resting on the couch after a long day of adventures with my family. It reminded me of how it felt to get lost in the stories they used to tell me, swept up in the currents of another life. And it reminded me of being in Alan's arms at night. That feeling of contented safety just before we drifted off to sleep. And for once, I, I didn't have to do anything to sustain that feeling. I didn't have to grasp at that contentment and gratitude to try and hold on to it. It was coming at me, filling me. I reached out with my other hand and started climbing, one rung at a time. As I climbed higher and past the first set of branches, the world around me began to change, like a veil thinning and falling away to reveal something new. I found myself climbing a ladder on the side of a small, stuccoed building, like the kind you see in Greece or with ancient Pueblo houses. I was climbing up to the flat, wide roof of some kind of home. I looked around. I wasn't too high up, but I could still see the alleyways and promenades below the house. It was a city. A genuinely good city. I, I know that sounds strange, but what I mean is... When I looked around, I didn't just see the sunset filling the sky with purple, pink, and shimmering gold, or the canals glittering below the wide streets, or even the colorful rooftops and lush gardens of the city around me. I, I could tell that people were happy here. Far away, I saw them smiling, laughing, and sharing meals with one another on their roofs and down in the streets. I, uh, I just knew that their lives and their happiness were what mattered most in this place. I could feel it in the air, the same way I felt the guardian, and the fire, and the lake. Even if the emotions I felt couldn't have been more different. It was real. And I was really there. And when I reached the top of the ladder, I, I saw Alan. He was sitting there on the rooftop, silhouetted against the sky. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. One moment I felt shock, elation, and pain wash over me, but the next it was all replaced with relief as, as Helen smiled at me, like he wasn't surprised to see me at all. And then he asked me to come up and watch the sunset with him. I hesitated. <laughs> Out of everything that happened today, that's honestly what surprises me the most. 
that I hesitated when he asked. I looked down at the city again. There was a warm coastal breeze rolling off the distant ocean, playing through the trees and flowers below. A few strange birds floated on the updrafts, calling out and filling the air with life and music. And there was Alan. Couldn't have been more perfect. I just felt something nagging at me, like there was something else I was supposed to be doing, something I'd forgotten. Alan laughed when he saw the look on my face. I think he actually called me Space Cadet, like he used to whenever I got too lost in my own thoughts. And he said, your parents will be coming up soon. I want to leave room for them on that ladder. I, I didn't know what to say. Alan insisted again, asking me to come sit next to him, but instead, I closed my eyes and breathed in deeper than before. The air felt colder than it should have in that warm, sunny place, and I felt the rough, weathered wood of the ladder under my hands again. I opened my eyes, and this time I could feel the edges of the illusion all around me. Or, or, or maybe just the edges where these woods and the city touched one another. Perhaps they're both real, in their own way. I'd like to think so. And then I remembered. I still had work to do in the world at the bottom of that ladder. I thought of Bill and Maria and even Anna counting on me. And if I climbed to the top of that ladder and joined Alan, they'd, they'd never know what happened to me. I'd just vanish out of the world, gone without a trace. I opened my eyes, letting the warm breeze wash over me again. I took one last look at Alan. He was absolutely radiant in the fading light, as beautiful and striking as he was that November morning when I first fell in love with him. And then I finally spoke. I said, Actually, never mind. That's that's something I'd rather keep between Helen and I. That, and the look on Helen's face when I said it. That's an image I'll keep with me until the day I die. I climbed back down the ladder, the city fading from view until I found myself back in the woods where I started with my feet on level ground. When I looked around, I saw that all of the other ladders had vanished. And when I looked back towards the one I'd just been climbing, it was gone too. I walked back to the cabin without incident, alone with my own thoughts.
The sun was setting by the time I got back, which means that either I spent more time in that place than I thought, or time passed more quickly here than it did in that other place. I made myself a cup of tea and sat down to watch the sunset through the front window. It wasn't anything like the sunset in that seaside city, but it was lovely, even so. Even so. The Sheridan Tapes, episode 38, Beneath an Unknown Sun, starring Trevor Van Winkle as Sam Bailey, with original music by Jesse Hogan. Written by Virginia Spots and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and Virginia Spots, and made possible by our supporters at patreon.com slash homesteadcorner and at ko-fi.com slash homesteadcorner. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and connect with us on Twitter at Sheridan Tapes and on Instagram at The Sheridan Tapes. I'm Trevor Van Winkle, this is Homestead on the Corner, and you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes.